census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice candy. Welcome, everyone, to episode 299 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. We are here broadcasting from the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor, brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee and the Dorkening Podcast Network. Uh, I am, uh, like I said, your host, and I am here not... Don't give me that look. (laughs) I can feel your look. I am here, uh, as always, with my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. She is... The mistress of Merlot, she is the baroness of Bordeaux, the countess of Cabernet, the real housewife of Transylvania, the, let's see, what else are you? You're a lot of things. The princess of Prosecco, the Michael Phelps of wine, the queen of the monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Also, you are my sweet Hawaiian slider buns. No, no, (laughs) no, no. I just figured I'd have to throw that in. No. This is like the third time we're trying to record because it's super late. I've been up since 4 a.m. It's been a long couple of days. It's been a long week uh, with us, with all the upheaval going on. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, as you heard, it's Ashes One Nightmare. You know, I'm not saying that it was aliens, but it was aliens. Giorgio. Giorgio Tucalos, Ancient Aliens. Just throwing that out there. He should be listening to this show because that's what we're talking about this week. We are talking about... Uh, all kinds of different aliens. The extraterrestrials. Including extraterrestrial, the extraterrestrial from 1982's film, extraterrestrial, the extraterrestrial. We're not talking about that. But that's one of the extraterrestrials that came out in 1982. That is is the Voldemort of films in this house. We do do not name. It doesn't have a nose. It doesn't. I don't know, does it? I don't knows. Uh, um, we do we we do not say that name in but this yeah, house. We are we are talking today. We do not mention that movie in this house about various aliens throughout uh, throughout cinema and and other media because we I like the the evolution of the characterization of aliens. Yeah, especially based on like what. Uh, cultural phenomena might be going on at the time, which we'll get into a little bit, uh, especially where it comes to movies that have been remade multiple times, like mm-hmm. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, there's a difference between the 50s version and the 70s version, and the reason why is because there are different things going on, and the endings are different because things happen. But part of this stemmed from the fact that you just watched a John Carpenter film about an alien that wasn't the thing. That is correct. And, you know, it's such a stark uh, contrast between the two. If Starman 
instead of coming out in 1984, it'd come out in 1982. I think The Thing in 19, coming out in 1984 would have been much better received than it had been. You think so? Well, most people, because they went to see the movie that you don't like, because that came out right around the same time, everyone was looking for happy, fun aliens because they had just gotten their fill of murderous aliens in 1979 with Alien, and they weren't quite ready for another murderous, deadly alien. They wanted something nice and fun and lighthearted. There is nothing lighthearted about that film. Oh, my God. It's true. If you think about it, it takes over your body and forces you to feel things and usurps your mind. Oh, yeah. No, there's a long... And it screams. Yeah. Especially when you consider how they got the the voice for that thing. Uh, But anyways, we thought we'd start off by talking about some of our favorite aliens, which, you know, may end up coming up later on in the show. Um. But I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the ones that you might not think about. But I wanted to throw a caveat out there. We will not be discussing Star Wars, Star Trek, or Futurama. Because there are far too many aliens running the gamut of good, bad, indifferent, especially the uh, neutral planet. So there's literally good, bad, and indifferent on uh, Futurama. But... That aside, we're going to be discussing films that discuss that specifically focus on one alien race. And there was one I didn't even think about until just now because I'm sitting here thinking about stuff coming from space. How about the Transformers? Transformers are aliens. I yeah yeah. I didn't even I didn't even think of that. Right, and you know, that's fine. Well, because that's not the first thing I think of when I think of alien. Right. You know, there's a there's a stereotype that comes to mind when, you know, we think of of what an alien is, what an extraterrestrial is. And typically it's the gray guys. Yeah, the the, the grays. I mean, there's if you pay attention to like, you know, all the, you know, ancient alien stuff like I do, you know, there's dozens and dozens of species you know the, i mean that's the, 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 the rumor is the nordics the, the grays are what landed at roswell yes they're the most prevalent uh in you know abduction cases and early on with some of these uh b films c films d films even um the Greys are the most dominant species of alien that are not in depicted. The, not in the early ones. It, the early ones, it was all about, like, like in the 50s and stuff. Like, you'd have things like It Conquered the World or, you know, you'd get, uh, the you know, the thing from another, the thing from another world. You know, it was always, like, from another world or from Mars or something crazy like that. Um, you'd get these weird, like... Uh, amorphous, almost Lovecraftian type of creatures where until the UFO phenomenon really picked up and, you know, abduction cases, like especially the Betty and Barney Hill case, uh, really helped gain notoriety in the mid-70s, that's when you started seeing them depicted more as tiny gray, uh, tiny grays, like, say, Close Encounters of the Third Kind or... Uh, fire in the sky or the fourth kind or 
you know, I know I'm bouncing all over the place with these, um, but there's a lot of times they were, they were just trying to be made as frightening as possible. And a lot of times, like you'd say, the Twilight Zone, most of the aliens looked human because that's what Ray Bradbury and, and um, shit, what the hell's his name? The guy that wrote uh, I Am Legend, because he used to write for them as well. But like Ray Bradbury and Rod Serling, and uh, that's going to bug the shit out of me that I can't think of it. Well, what's fabulous is you have this, have this little device right next to you that could Google it. Yeah, Google it. Look it up. I know, but I should I should know this. Richard Matheson. Yes, there that's a name. But like I should I should know that already. Um I just couldn't think of it for some reason. Um But yeah, like even you know in the uh Well, I mean, it kind of fed into the hysteria of uh fear of the unknown. And there was a time when people were afraid of not having control over themselves. Right. Bodily autonomy and replacement. Well, that's why in the 50s you'd see the the um, invasion of the body snatchers was more uh, like a, a, a metaphor for McCarthyism. Um, you know, fear of loss of self, but like being assimilated into one group, like it was considered like a, a communism type thing. Whereas in the, the 70s version, uh, it very much was um, fear of just losing oneself and, you know, losing your individuality because people were really having like the the late 70s, like, you know, uh, uh, it was before the the whole greed and the me decade took over. It was still, you know, the free spirited, free love type people that were left over from the the late sixties. So there was a uh, there's always like an underlying. Um, there's usually a political undertone. Yeah, that like comes a, with a some metaphor of these that has to do with whatever the the like existential boogeyman is at the time. Right. You know whether we are currently you know engrossed in war with a different nation mm -hmm. whether it's a metaphor for you know the impending nuclear war or you know whatever the political climate here in the u.s the political climate in uh just around the world in in general um you know kind of uh not only metaphors, but sometimes used to create panic and almost wanting to keep people in line, like watching this film. Oh, I better be a good person. I better do what I'm told. I better, you know, stay in line and follow the rules. And, you right. know, so, so, I mean, it goes both ways. But, uh, yeah, so getting into our getting into character question for today, you know, what are some of your favorite aliens and what are some of your favorite alien films? Because there are some fantastic alien extraterrestrial films where you don't necessarily see the you know the actual alien or the extraterrestrial itself yeah a lot of times um because so much has been done already they try to um use new delivery methods like you know if you were to look at say the alien series you know you have the original quadrilogy and then you have like the two spin-offs where instead of like the uh the rape metaphor that's being used in uh you know which is uh 
more I, I would say that these the the original couple of uh, alien movies, you know, with the forced pregnancies are a little more uh appropriate today as opposed to the uh the newer ones where they have all different ways of the alien uh organism infiltrating into your system. You know, you had that weird snake thing that killed Rafe's ball. You had the uh the spores that were getting into people's ears and nose, you know, and the uh alien xenomorphs uh gestating that way as opposed to, you know, uh, the alien versus predator films where the uh, the pregnant women were forcibly given multiple uh, embryos down their throat through the pharyngeal jaw of the predalien. So there's a lot of different, you know, things with that. But I would say, like I mentioned, uh, the Transformers are some of my favorite uh, aliens. Um I would have to say the dinosaurs. Oh I loved God. those guys as a kid. <laughs> yeah, the dinosaurs. Um, there was. I'm trying to think of what else I watched that were you know like there was a ton of stuff that was aliens, but like you didn't always realize it. Like um, you know, Third Rock from the Sun. Obviously, that was a fun show. Mork and Mindy. Um, Nanu Nanu. Alf, Alf was one of my favorite ones. Oh my god, why? I didn't even think of that. Batteries not included. Flight of the Navigator, one of my all-time favorite films. Like that that also dealt with uh Einsteinian like time travel and and whatnot, you know, traveling faster than the speed of light. Uh stuff like that. So I always thought those, I mean, we're going to get into this a lot more, but how about you? Uh Stitch. From Lilo and Stitch. That's fair. Hands down. Yeah. All-time favorite. I'm obsessed with Stitch. But I really like the way that... Um, I like what the character represents. And I like the way that the character fits in with the film. And fits in with the overall family or Ohana dynamic, if you will, yes. um, of the film. And and, and obviously, it's, it's a really freaking cute Disney film. But... It has so much heart in it and, you know, uh, the story, you know, being that, you know, it's okay to be different and, you know, um, you don't need to act out in order to express yourself and, you know, you can, you can create your own family, which I think is the biggest takeaway from it. You know, like uh, in the end, when the other aliens come to Earth or Yarth, if you will, uh, you know, they've been watching Yarth, our yeah. they've been watching our mosquito population. Um, they come to collect Stitch and Stitch has been complete. You know, he's he's changed. He's evolved. And, you know, it's because of the love and patience of Primarily Lilo, but also her big sister, Nani. Um, you know, he's able to uh, 
have conversations with these aliens who come to 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 pick him back up and you know he's just his only request is that he you know gets to say goodbye and they're kind of taken aback about it you know like this is my family it is little and broken but it's still good Mm -hmm. you know i found it all on my own and that which i mean honestly it's one of those films where if i want to cry i will watch lilo and stitch and by the end of it i am just bawling my eyes out because i'm like he found his family that's so cute uh but you know it's it's a great story about you know um, like i said finding your finding your chosen family but also um it's never too late to change as a person it's never too late to to evolve and to learn how to be a better person or a better a better being i should say um another one so i uh, so I know we said no Star Wars, but I'm gonna talk Star Wars because Baby Yoda. No, that's fine. I didn't mean Grogu. The main, the main discussion. I'm 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 so Team Grogu, Team Grogu. I, I'm obsessed with Baby Yoda. Um, really freaking cute, but also I'm really intrigued by the story and how they're going about this in the Mandalorian, and I'm really interested to see, uh, especially with choices that were made last season mm. how things are going to go moving forward but uh the yoda species is a really interesting species especially because we don't know too too much about it we don't even know what their name is they just referred to as tridactyl because they have three toes and we only know of two other of yoda species three. oh three well there's yoda there's yaddle there's yaddle and then i forget the name of the character from uh, knights of the old republic Okay. But there's that one. Okay, so so there's there are four total then that we yes, know of in existence. Of. Yeah. So the the scarcity, the rarity of of these beings. But I every find, one of them is incredibly powerful with the force. Right. Right. Light side of the force. So it's just I, I find it really intriguing. And he's a cute little baby. Um, Even though he's fifty. And going into. Uh, favorite alien films so this is one that i watched for the first time what last summer mm-hmm. and it's one of those movies that i saw it and my first thought was why did i not see this sooner i was so happy i watched it uh it's phenomenally done event horizon yeah that was one that um because it's it's not your typical alien extraterrestrial film no because the you know it's been explored lately where aliens aren't from another planet they're from other dimensions like that's a that's kind of a newer thing um sometimes they're time traveling uh humans uh depending on which which like if you look at the rendlesham forest case um like that you know, like the, the it's it's weird. Like there's sometimes it's uh, or uh, uh, Diglaka, the bell that disappeared from Germany in 1945 and reappeared in 1972 in Pittsburgh or outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's a weird time traveling device that the Nazis developed because Hitler was obsessed with that shit. I'm pretty sure that's called the Liberty Bell. No, no, it's not the Liberty Bell. That was hundreds of years ago. That's a different guy. Um, But, I mean, if you want to be technical, you know, anytime a character is 
uh, of another world. You know, there's John Carter of Mars, uh, but you could say everyone in Game of Thrones is an alien because that's a totally different planet. It's planetos. It's not Earth in any way, shape, or form. So everyone in Game of Thrones is an alien. Well, I mean, and you mentioned earlier the Martian. The Martian, yeah. We talked about that uh, way earlier today. Um, another Andy Weir story that I won't I won't get into, uh, but it's one of my favorite uh, alien stories, uh, and you have to read it to find out. Project Hail Mary. Read it, and you'll understand what... Uh, it's a phenomenally good book. Uh, it's basically the story of a suicide mission to stop a new strain of bacteria that was found uh, eating the sun and how to stop it. And we weren't the only ones trying to figure out how to stop it. And that's all I'll say about it. Um, oh, crap. I just had another one. It was on the tip of my tongue and then it just went away. Um, King Ghidorah. He's an alien. Is... This is the this abyss. is riveting. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, and then obviously you get into like the thing, which again I still think is one of the most perfect films. Yes, uh, just story wise, uh, acting. It's hard to top. You know, uh, practical effects are Intrigue. just beyond. Uh, but again, like the story from start to finish is is just phenomenal. And again, like we we don't necessarily see. It's true form. Right, because it's able to assimilate and If you infiltrate. read the story, you get kind of like an idea of what it looks like. Was was McCready bronze? Yes. Was he, was he very bronze? But you also find out that there's uh, a psychic element to the creature. It's very interesting. But you know, just to wrap this up, because we've been going over 20 minutes, uh, I would say also... Uh, there's a lot in the Marvel pantheon, but say Venom. Venom's a great alien. Well, and that's something that uh, you forget about. I mean, with the, the Guardians of the Galaxy, most of them are aliens, yeah. alien species. Yeah, with the exception of a handful of you know humans or human-like uh, creatures. Yeah, a lot of our uh, Superman. Superman is uh, maybe the world's most famous immigrant. You know, and also also an alien. Uh, yeah, there, there are certain things. Martian manhunter. Is he is he a Martian? He manhunts. He hunts man to he, to serve man. Yes, he's a candidate. Again, going back to uh, Twilight Zone. Oh. Kang and Cody. I was just going to say, wait, I forgot two phenomenal ones. Kang and Kodos. Yep, from The Simpsons. The Treehouse of Horror episodes. Yep. And which are some of the best episodes, especially the ones where uh, Kang and Kodos are prominent. Which I think started in season three, but I might be wrong. It's either season three or Treehouse of Horror three, but either way. Abortions for some, miniature American flags for others. That was 1992, I think. Wow. Well, it was when uh, it was an election year 91. because it was Bob it was, Dole and Bill Clinton. It was 91. Clinton. It was either 91 or 93. 
It had to be 93 because Clinton was still in the White House, and he won that second time, and then Bush took over in 2000. So it had to be 93 because he would have been re-sworn in. Uh, no, 95. 95. Because he would have been re-sworn in in 96. 96. Yeah. So that's our uh, that's our list of some of our favorite aliens. I'm sure we missed a ton, but we'll we'll get to more of them uh, in our main discussion. So we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. And we are back. So we're going to be talking about some aliens. And you might notice, uh, I just want to throw this out there. If you notice a slight change in audio quality, uh, this is the first time that we are doing a show where the two of us are not in the same room. Uh, I am actually in a dorm in UMass Amherst. And uh, Ashes is in the living room at Magenta Manor. So we are not using our normal studio setup, which is really weird for us. <laughs> um, but Guerrilla podcasting. Yes, definitely <laughs> guerrilla podcasting. Like <laughs> I'm hooked up to a, 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 a Wi-Fi network that if you close your browser, you have to re-enter the password. It does not remember. So every day when I leave to go to set and then come back, I have to re-enter the Wi-Fi on my phone. It doesn't remember it. I have to enter it in every single time. Oh, that's obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to connect to the Wi-Fi, click on it to sign in, put in the password, the, the username and the password. Oh, it's it's a whole thing. But it's... Did your, your RA know that you're smuggling booze into your dorm room? Uh, no. I've been pretty good about that. But, uh, yeah, it's it's a weird – this whole situation is weird. Like, I've never lived in a dorm before, so this is a whole new thing for me. And you had to – you got to uh, experience your first fire drill as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nothing it's like nothing. being in the bathroom and having the fire drill go off. Ugh. Yeah, super fun. Super fun. But on the plus side, it's a four-bedroom, two-bathroom, and I don't have a roommate. It's a full kitchen, full living room, and I don't have a roommate. It's just me. So I picked the room I wanted. I picked the bathroom I wanted. Everything's good. I'm all set. Because so, your roommate goes home every weekend? No, it's because I don't have a roommate. Like, there's no roommate. There's no one here. Joke, Patrick. Oh, I don't know. I don't. Whatever. Uh, I go home every weekend so I can see you. Hi. Yeah, you're welcome. So we are talking today uh, about aliens, and we kind of wanted to break it down. Um, and there is one caveat I'm adding, because I know I said no uh, 
no Futurama or Star Wars or anything, but I am throwing one one uh, Futurama reference out there. But, and the reason why we kind of settled on this topic was because, what, in the span of a week, I watched Starman, the Carpenter yep. film, for the first time, and then we went to see Nope, the most recent Jordan Peele film. And both of them are alien films involving extraterrestrial-like extra creatures. Um, and they're both so different. The, the alien characters are completely different. The, the energies, the vibes of the film, the tone the of the film. Yeah, I was going to say, everything is completely different. And it kind of got us thinking. You know, there is a plethora of alien extraterrestrial films out there where every single alien that is depicted is different, different characteristics, different mannerisms, different reasons for being here. Yeah, I mean, there are there are a few that are uh, very similar, you know, where you have like Fire in the Sky and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and uh, Independence Day. They're all kind of like, uh, they kind of build off each other, you know, very similar uh, they all have like their 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 similarities between the three of them, but obviously they're all vastly different films. And fun fact about uh, uh, Close Encounters: if that film hadn't been made, uh, Spielberg and uh, Dreyfus would have come back for Jaws too. The reason they didn't is because they were mo- making that movie. So fun fun fact. But yeah, so we decided to break them down into three different categories. So there are the good aliens, the ones that want to help mankind or rely on mankind to help themselves. Uh, There are the malevolent ones, the ones that are just bad. They come, they want to conquer, they want to destroy, they want to, you know, you know, terraform our planet into their, like, yeah. Uh, And then the third category is Aliens that are regarded as villains, but are just doing what they do, you know. So it's no different. They're not bad. They're just drawn that way. <sighs> so they're <laughs> they're not necessarily malevolent, but they just have. They're just doing what they do to survive. No different from a bear or a shark or a, a an alligator. Um. So, Ashes, what do you want? What category do you want to start off with? Let's start off all nice and light and fluffy and go with the good one. All right. So because there are literally hundreds of these, I just narrowed my list down to five for the good aliens. So do you want to start? Do you want me to go first? Because I don't know how many you have. You you should probably go first, seeing as I don't have a list because I didn't know this is what we were doing. Oh, I thought you had a list of aliens. Uh, well, I I have discussion points. Oh, okay. Well, then I can I can do it. See, this is what happens when we're not in the same place for weeks at a time. Uh, so I'm going to start off with uh, my list of nice aliens with the abyss. Um. And what I liked about these is, you know, they were, it was a new, a new take on it. 
unless you've read the book Invisible Residence, which I tried doing today, and it's very tough to get through because of the writing style of the author, uh, Ivan T. Sanderson. Um, but this whole book is all about, is there intelligent life beneath the waters of the earth? And it was written in the 70s, and I imagine it had some sort of uh, impact on James Cameron, because these aliens live deep, deep, deep in the ocean, and their entire technology is water-based. And what's interesting is in all of our solar system, there's really only one place where you can find liquid water. Um, technically, I think you can find it on Europa. That hasn't been 100% confirmed, but the only place, so it's the rarest resource in the entire uh, entire solar system is liquid water. And so they were able to build, it's almost like an Atlantis type uh, civilization, but all their technology was even based on water. And as a result, they could create massive storms, they could create massive waves. Um, and we see that in some of the uh, extended cut, uh, which is close to three hours, and I highly recommend watching that version. Uh, you can definitely see where it uh, influenced Terminator 2. But having aliens at the bottom of the ocean, that they were ready to wipe us all out until one thing changed their minds. So I would uh, I would definitely give that one a watch if you hadn't seen it. came out 35 years ago, so there's no excuse. Star is a very young Ed Harris. Ed Harris, Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio, um, oh my God, Michael Bain, a young Chris Elliott as well, uh, in a small role. But, but I, I love it. Those aliens kind of uh, stem from this conspiracy theory that you know. So, fun fact: we actually know more about our solar system, uh, space in general, uh, other galaxies than we do about our own ocean here on this planet that we live in. So there is this conspiracy theory that the depths of the ocean, like the beneath the surface, you know, the, the super dark depths that we can't get to because we do not have the technology yet, uh, the equipment that is necessary to withstand all of that pressure at those great depths um, that aliens are actually living on Earth and they are taking up residence in these deep trenches in our oceans. Yeah, they're using the oceans as a way of... Because, I mean, think <laughs> about it. If you're uh, coming in... Like, where where do astronauts land when they come in from re-entry? The ocean. Why? Well, while hitting the ocean or hitting water at a significant speed at the wrong angle is the same as crashing into a mountain, um, if you hit it at the right angle, it will slow your descent down. And it's if you're aerodynamic enough or hydrodynamic enough, you're able to, you know, go through the water fairly easily as, as you would in the air. Although that does bring up the, uh, 
the Futurama episode where they uh, they found the lost city of Atlanta and they were 50 atmospheres of pressure under the water. And they're like, how many atmospheres of pressure can the ship take? And the professor said, well, it's a spaceship, so anywhere between zero and one. But uh, 50% of all uh, UFO sightings or UAP sightings, whatever you want to call it, uh, take place around water, whether it's coming out of, going into, or like very close, because it's not just the oceans. It's also some of the larger lakes. I mean, take a look at Loch Ness. Like people have been trying to explore Loch Ness for a hundred years to find out if there's a monster in it, and we haven't been able to do it. And that's, you know, a fraction of the size of the ocean. So I thought that was a very interesting uh, interesting take on the alien genre. So up next, uh, similarly, uh, Cocoon. Now, for folks who aren't familiar with this, this has uh, Don Amici, uh, who you know from uh, well, lots of stuff, but Trading Places, uh, uh, Mortimer Duke. You would also know Brian Dennehy. So this is another one of those movies where the aliens can shapeshift and appear human. Um, and I haven't seen this movie in a very, very long time. Uh, but I believe Steve Gutenberg is also in it. Or he's in the second one. I know he's in one of the two. Because this came out in the early 80s. I want to say 84, 86, somewhere in there. And they, <laughs> they have all these old people that they are promising to uh, help rejuvenate in exchange for keeping the co alien cocoons in their pool. So all these older people, like they'll swim in the pool and they feel 20, 30 years younger uh, because of the energy from these cocoons. Like some of them are even feeling randy enough to uh, have some romantic entanglements, which oh, they wow. haven't done in decades. But word gets out and people find this place and as people do anytime there's something good and pure uh they try to exploit it so instead of just being near the cocoons and you know getting their the the benefits of it it's kind of like uh killing the goose that laid the golden eggs they take one of the cocoons out of the water and they start smashing it in order to get it open and brian dennehy who is one of these aliens in human form freaks out and uh, they had cracked open the cocoon, and inside there was an alien, and that alien died. And Brian Dennehy starts crying and not understanding what it is because he is an alien and doesn't have human emotions, realizes that this is a primitive rock full of psychotic apes that do not deserve the gift that they had been given. So the... Mothership comes to take them all away, but takes away some of the uh, older people as well to have them live in paradise and they'd live, you know, forever. I mean, granted, they're they're old, but they're feeling a lot better and they don't have to, uh, you know, kind of deal with as many health issues that they had in the past. I believe Jessica Tandy's in this as well. Yes, she is. Okay, because so I was trying to remember who was I, I assume you IMDB'd it while I was talking. 
No, I just know that she's in it. Okay. Um. 1985. Oh yeah, Wilfred Brimley's also in this. That's the other guy. Hume Diabetes. Hume Cronin, Brian Dennehy, Jack Gilford. Yep. Uh, Steve Gutenberg, Maureen Stapleton. Well, I mean, if Hume Cronin's in it, Jessica Tandy has to be in it. Uh, Gwen Verdon. So th- it's so basically, when a group of trespassing seniors swim in a pool containing alien cocoons, they find themselves energized with youthful vigor. So I like that one. That's a good one. That's one I'd ha- I haven't seen in forever, and I should probably track down and rewatch because there's two of them. There's that, and then there's Cocoon: The Return. Um, up next is one that uh, Ash has mentioned. We just recently watched, and you just recently watched for the first time. That was Starman. Do you want to talk about that one? So this was really interesting because you don't actually see what the alien species is. You see them uh, take the form of a human in a really interesting regenerative way. Mm-hmm. And it took the form of, uh, of a human in order to kind of observe the surroundings. So, you know, uh, not a malevolent being by, by any stretch. Sent here to... Just observe, really. Almost like take notes, research. See how humans interact with one another. Uh, unfortunately, this alien crash-landed and had a little bit more of a, of a journey than what they were anticipating. But as a result, also had more of a human interaction than they would have received if they had just followed, you know, the flight plan that they were supposed to do. Um, it's really interesting because this alien takes the form of a person who had passed away. Scott Hayden. You know, it uh, is really interesting the way that this character, you know, while looking like this person obviously doesn't have the mannerisms of this person, has the mannerisms of um, a bird. Well, yes, yeah. Um, Jeff Bridges uh, did his research by watching a lot of large birds and stuff interact uh, with their surroundings and kind of mimicking mimicking that. But um, but by taking, you know, it, it, he looks like a person, but he's not a person. The way that he's interacting with the world around him is so fresh and so new. Uh, you know, eating eating Dutch apple pie for the first time, terrific. Eating for the first time. Well, y- yes, yes, consuming food for the first time. Um, you know, so so it's interesting how we don't actually see, you know, what the alien looks like in the alien's physical form. We see it in the human form, but we see all of the characteristics, like the the personality of this alien. Um, and how uh, eager this alien is to to learn different things and be aware of the world around him and to interact with people. And obviously he forms a bond with Jenny Hayden, the, the person, you know, who's, who's home. He, 
you know, the person whose home he uh, kind of ransacks in the beginning. But it's just, it's a really interesting take because, you know, it's not, uh, it's not something that we haven't seen before. You know, we, we've seen aliens taking over human bodies for X reason. But in this instance, it was really, there was a, there was an innocence about this whole character that was kind of refreshing in a way. And it was, it was really endearing at times. Yeah. I, I think it's the opportunity because it was a great learning opportunity for his species. Um, the ability and the opportunity to experience emotions and experience three days of life as this different creature. It'd be like, if you could, you know, spend three days as a cat and like feel the emotions and, and have the senses of a cat and it's going to throw you off because it's like, okay, how do I walk on all four or the other way around a cat suddenly becomes a human, you know, how is a cat supposed to learn how to balance on, on two feet and, you know, and, you know, using these strange vocal cords and these thumbs, I know some cats have thumbs, but this is different thumbs, you know, like, able to get food whenever you want it, not having to rely on someone else. You know, all of these things that he experiences, he's experiencing. It's like he's a toddler, but he's a full-grown adult. If you haven't seen this, came out in 1984. It's a John Carpenter film. And the special effects at the beginning, where the alien takes some of Scott's DNA from a lock of hair that's in a photo album, how he turns... How he goes from just a few cells to a full-grown human in moments. Uh, the special effects are fantastic. And we were like, oh, I wonder who did these. And at the end, we find out it was goddamn Stan Winston and Rick Baker. <laughs> so, like, the two of them together, which is insanity. But uh, I definitely recommend that because that's you see that type of story a lot, like, you know, oh, I'm learning these emotions. I'm learning, you know, we, we see it a lot in like AI sentience stories where uh, the AI is learning about uh, different human emotions and how that makes them feel and how they deal with it because it's something that they've never experienced before. Uh, like you have all this data, but until you actually experience it, until you actually do it. Like I can read about how painful a bee sting is, but I can't fully understand it until it happens to me. Uh, the next one I had was uh, from a TV show that I really liked as a kid. Uh, and I still remember one line that made me laugh so goddamn hard. I said it at school for like the next two weeks. Um, the dinosaurs, um, they were anthropomorphic dinosaurs. Uh, the bad guy was a T-Rex, like the leader of the bad guys. The leader of the good guys was a Triceratops, which is cool because I was always a fan of the Triceratops. If you've listened to some of our episodes, you know that's my favorite dinosaur. Uh, but they came from space, and they made friends with kids. And there was, <laughs> it was very similar to Transformers, honestly. It was basically a Transformers ripoff. But there was this great line where the 
leader of the bad guys. I don't remember what the episode was about. I don't remember what the context was. I just remember him shoving this kid aside, going, out of the way, mammal. And it was just one of the funniest things I've ever heard. Um, the last one I want to talk about, and I know, like I said, this is this is my Futurama reference, but anyone who's ever watched this uh, particular group probably assumed they were aliens because of just the things that they can do. It's damn near magic. Uh, and that would be the Harlem Globe Globetrotters of the Globetrotter homeworld, um, led by Ethan Bubblegum Tate, uh, who is also a lecturing physics professor at Mars University. Uh, so in, in addition to being, you know, phenomenal basketball players, they are also uh, brilliant astrophysicists. Uh, Ashes, did you want to add anybody to the uh, good, kind aliens? Yeah, so uh, the aliens from the film Arrival, mm -hmm. I thought were so interesting and unique, not only in the design factor. So, you know, they're encased in these pods and they're aquatic-like. They're trying to communicate from behind uh, uh, a glass pane uh, and they're swimming around and they're kind of I'm trying to think of the best way to describe them. Manipulating smoke. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting the way that um, as far as like a life form property goes, uh, it's not what you typically think of when you think of alien. Um, there was definitely almost like an ethereal mm. quality about them. Um, and these pods, there's 12 pods that come to Earth in various locations. And really what they're looking to do is they're looking to communicate. Uh, but they do not know our language. But they were hoping that somebody would be patient enough to maybe learn theirs or help them, you know, understand ours. And that is what happens, you know. Um, oh, goodness. What? Amy Adams. Amy Adams. Amy Adams uh, she's a linguist who works with the military uh, to establish communication between us and these life forms. And we find out that these life forms, so they've come from the future. So there's a little bit of like a time travel aspect there, but they've come from the future. Um, their planet is in peril. And it's partially because of our doing. They're, they're coming back to help us save ourselves because they need us to save them in the future, but we don't make it. So they had to come back and teach us how to survive so that we could save them. Right. And it's right. brilliantly written. And it's such an interesting take, again, with the, uh, with the dynamics between the actual alien creatures themselves and the humans, uh, you know, 
the uncertainty in the beginning, but then the establishment of uh, there's like a, a the establishment of of, of a mutual. Um, I'm trying to think of, of a word here. Um, there's like a, a mutual factor between both parties involved, and it's survival. And it's, it's a mutually love. beneficial relationship. It's almost like it's a one thing is, you know, they were able to establish like, you know, you are a species just trying to survive. We are also just a species trying to survive. You are a species, you know, who it, it, you know thrives in a loving environment. We are also a species who thrives in a loving environment. You know, so instead of, you know, it's, it's not just like, a, you know, we're aliens and we're coming to take over. Like it was definitely was the furthest thing from that. It was, you know, and, and ultimately it's an allegory for uh, immigration and, and immigrants coming to, you know, America and, and, you know, trying to establish communication and trying to be seen and trying to be heard. Um, but I think it's just, it's so well done and it's so, uh, it's such an interesting take, especially with the, like I said, with the character design, because it's, you're not having one-on-one -on -one interactions with these, like you can't touch them. They're separated from us, but yet they're trying to maintain contact uh, via their speech, like via words. Which yeah, I thought was really interesting. Yes, yeah, it was it was really good. Like, and they're also um, also the the alien creatures from Dis District Nine mm. were really interesting and prawns is what they called them. Yes, yeah, uh, they were definitely again kind of have a little bit of that um, crustaceous like uh, look about them. Um, and they were just trying to live. Yeah, they're, they had ran out of fuel. Right, they ran out of fuel. Uh, they ended up here. They formed a colony. They were, you know, uh, trying to ultimately just trying to survive mm -hmm. and trying to live. You know, maintain a, a, a kind of a symbiotic relationship. Between the alien species and the human species. And ultimately, that film is an allegory for the uh, apartheid. Especially where it takes place in South Africa. Right, right. Um, but it's just, you know, they were here by accident. They didn't mean to be here, but it happened. And they were just trying to survive. They were trying to... Uh, maintain some of their culture and their customs. They were uh, trying to, you know, ultimately kind of keep to themselves. It was just nice to see like a, a film like this not set in the United States for once. Uh, I did want to touch on something you said because it made me made me think. The uh, not just the um, the District Nine guys. But also the what were they heptapods or something, heffalumps? 
I forget what they called them in in Arrival. But uh, um, I know it was Abbott and Costello was the name of the two that Amy Adams communicated with. But the two of them, I mean, those designs coupled with the design of the creature from uh, Nope, very, very similar to stuff that we find in the ocean, like our own ocean, because there are uh, theories that if human life were to disappear from the earth, that, you know, uh, octopus and, you know, similar species would kind of evolve and grow and become the dominant species because they are the most intelligent. Uh, so you can definitely see some of that in the design of these, um, these aliens. And I kind of like the ones where the aliens don't necessarily have a humanoid uh, appearance to them. So I have, I have two, uh, whatchamacallits, uh, honorable mentions before we move on to the next thing. Uh, the sentient spaceship from Flight of the Navigator, voiced by Paul Rubens, and all the little dudes from Batteries Not Included. Um, like, Batteries Not Included, there was no real, like, agenda. They were just floating around doing their thing. Like, I thought it was great. If you haven't seen those, check them out. I mean, obviously, there's tons and tons and tons. You know, there's a bunch we didn't touch on. But if you have one that you want to add, let us know. So next, we're going to go to some of the uh, the opposite end of the spectrum, the absolutely malevolent, terrifying uh, creatures that just want to come in and destroy and take over our world for themselves. Um, so the first one is a movie that I didn't watch... Oh, until just a few years ago. Um, and I'm going to go, and it's super funny. It's a, a, got a wonderful cast. I do kind of feel bad for Sarah Jessica Parker in this one. But uh, I'm going to go Mars Attacks. Um, those aliens, we weren't sure how to respond to them. And we tried being... Uh, uh, diplomatic and because you know most of the time it's just like all right let's just blow them up they're bad they're evil they're different i don't know what's what's going on but uh they're not the same as us get them and this one they're like all right well let's let's see let's let's talk to them and let's see what happens and they just start shooting people and turning them into goo uh, Ashes, what do you have? Uh, well, the, the creature design, the alien design for the Mars Attacks aliens, so freaking cool. Very reminiscent of um, like B films. They were kind of colorful. They were uh, not necessarily, necessarily the first thing that you think of when you think alien, but when you see them, you're like, oh yeah, those are those are absolutely aliens. You know, those the, are yeah, Martians. The, those are Martians. The, 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 Exactly, you know, the fish bowls on their heads, uh, capes, very colorful, very shiny, a lot of metal, um, and the, uh, the, the noises that they make, the rack, 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 like, it's just, 
equal parts hilarious because the whole film, I mean, like it's it's a great film. I haven't seen I mean, it in a really long time. Um, that is definitely is the president. I just want to let the people know that they still have two out of three branches of government working for them, and that ain't bad. Like, <laughs> uh, ultimately, it's a comedy, but there are some very terrifying aspects of that film. I still think the Sarah Jessica Parker thing is one of the most terrifying things. Like, if you ever watched that Basement Jacks video for Where's Your Head At, or the old... Uh, the old uh, uh, Twilight Zone episode with uh, Billy something or other. What the fuck is his name? I don't know, but he's the kid who could make you know wishes and anything he wished would happen uh, would happen, and they parodied it on The Simpsons, and they did they used it in the the uh, Twilight Zone the movie with um, Nancy Cartwright. But yeah, but you so. really have to give credit to that creature design because they managed oh, yeah. to uh, create something. These characters and they all looked the same too. Uh, with aside from uh, there were some uh, differences between the leader of the Martians and you know the 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 Martian army, so to speak. It's mostly how they were dressed, like their ornamentation. It was just, it was, it was so cool because like, it was something you've seen before, but at the same time, something you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. They found a way to take this design and make it so original that you knew what you were seeing, but like, it still seemed fresh. It still seemed new. And, you know, I, again, it just kind of fit in with, like, the B-movie undertones of that entire film. I just thought it was, like, the, the way those are presented, it's just, it's hilarious. And, oh, my God, the, when, they, uh, when the aliens disguise themselves as people, mm -hmm. and it's this really weird-looking woman with... boobs. And the, the, the crazy bouffant hair that's actually hiding the... The helmet. The helmet. Well, and that's the other thing. Uh, like the homage to fifties B movies. Like it's a hundred percent. Like they look like they're from the fifties. Like this, it's kind of updated with like you know the time, like Wayne Newton and and uh, Jim Brown in you know in Vegas. You know, so you have that like mid nineties aesthetic, but the aliens definitely would not have seemed out of place in like a black and white fifties, like Ed Wood movie or, there is, or, you know, any of those other guys. There is a drag queen. Her name is Juno Birch. She, uh, her whole shtick is she, she's blue. Her whole shtick is she's an alien, but she does like one of her, one of her sets. She does the uh, female alien form. She has like the form-fitting dress, the big hair. She's chewing gum on stage while like the way that she she glides the way that the aliens do too when they're trying to mimic, you know, our our Earthling females. It's phenomenal. It's so well done. I dig it. Uh, next one we're gonna jump to is uh, maybe the most famous. Uh, of all time, and actually something that the government uses anytime that, you know, people clamor for, you know, I need to know if things, you know, aliens are real and whatnot. 
uh, the War of the Worlds, the Martians uh, from that uh, version of Mars. Um, obviously, the 1938 radio broadcast by uh, Orson Welles, you know, terrifying people into the streets, thinking that they were we were really being invaded by Martians. Um, oh, the would... mass hysteria that ensued because of that. Oh yeah, it's it's absolutely insane, but they definitely were just here to destroy everything and take over and um, very reminiscent of that was Independence Day. Uh, same type of thing. You know, they were uh, described by Bill Pullman as being locusts going in, consuming every natural resource and moving on. It's like, you know, well, they're just doing it before we do. Like, there's really no difference in what they do compared to what we do. But, um, you know, that's another uh, another uh, film where aliens are coming in and... Uh, right, and, and they, they specifically say, because they take over that scientist's body, they Dr. use that scientist as a, as a puppet before killing, like, mutilating him. He doesn't die. He somehow lives and is in the second one. Oh. He's in, a, like, a... 20 year coma. I did I did not see the second one. I forgot there was a second one. Uh but again, you know, the the design of these aliens are very um reminiscent of the alien aliens. Kind of dialed back a little bit. The the way they look a little bit, yeah. More, I mean, they're definitely more of like a like fleshier tones versus the coloring of the the alien alien they take, they take the the biomechanic thing um like the aliens are like biomechanical uh the xenomorphs but these aliens like take it to a whole new level and literally wear biomechanical suits that are uh biological material but also armor protecting the smaller uh, more vulnerable uh, aliens. So I like that. Um, next up is one that if you've only seen the movie and you haven't read the book, most people don't realize is an alien, but the creature known as Pennywise the Dancing Clown uh, is a creature that crash landed to Earth in a meteor that we find out during the ritual of Chewed in uh in the novel, uh, we don't find out about it in the uh, in the film, but yeah, this is definitely a um, a malevolent alien entity uh, feeding on mostly children every twenty seven ish years. Sometimes it's twenty eight, sometimes it's twenty five, sometimes twenty three, sometimes thirty. Uh, but it's been doing it for millions of years. It's essentially an eternal. Uh, being but um i do have two uh honorable mentions before i get to them uh the predator uh this is a rare case where the invading alien is not trying to take over the planet unless you watch the newer ones where it's like oh global warming has made it perfect for them but like the original story for the predator was it just wanted to hunt elite 
prey throughout the universe. Like it had no interest in conquering or, you know, terraforming or anything like that. It just wanted to hunt. So in that instance, yes, it was a malevolent creature. But uh, Ashes, who do you have for uh, well, somebody I didn't mention? Kind of going back to, you know, elaborating a little bit on the Predator. I mean, you could argue that it wasn't malevolent because it was just, you know, you could put the Predator in the it's not bad, it's just drawn that way category. Because no. that's kind of the, well, I feel like that's kind of the uh, a trait of their species. Like, right. they're species of hunters. But it's it's essentially a big game hunter. Like, we don't look at someone who goes into the into the woods and shoots a, a sleeping albino rhino or, you know, someone who, you know, like the guy who killed he, Cecil the lion. That's, that's what they're doing. They're big. They game have hunters. a moral code, right? They have a moral code. That's all well and good, but they're just big game hunters. Like, you know, most aliens, especially like most malevolent aliens do not have, any type of moral code they're not going to be like oh well my you know really cool heat sensor vision you know has told me you know showed me that this woman is pregnant so obviously i'm not going to do anything to her because she's with child well there's no honor in that hunt but if she had attacked him as we see with uh lance henriksen in alien versus predator there was no honor in killing him because he's sick and dying but when he ignited his oxygen and tried to set it on fire it killed him and to say that no one else has a moral code is a little bit different uh because what they are doing like an alien say like the independence day aliens they're like you know what we're going to make this planet better for us. And if we have to wipe out all of the indigenous species, that's what we're going to do. Their moral code is they're looking to extend the lifespan of their own people and they will do whatever is necessary in order to do that. So if you look at it that way, there's nobility in that. But for us, they are absolutely a threat. They can't be bargained with. They can't be reasoned with. Uh, the only way to combat them is violence. The predator doesn't have to come here and, you know, he's not here to use our resources. It's not here to do anything else. It doesn't use every part of the, the human. Um, it the like think about what uh Anna literally says. They call it the demon who makes trophies of man. Like there's no they have a, a, a code of honor in their own society. Whereas, you know, like they're not going to kill a child or, you know, a frail old man because they pose no threat. There's no honor in that. You know, it's like these guys who go big game hunting. They're not gonna shoot like a lion cub. There's no, there. You know, you're gonna hang a lion cub in your in your den. No, you want the big, scary, ferocious lion. Sure, they wait till they're sleeping because humans who do this have no honor. 
but you know when they get them taxidermied and posed they look like they were in a threatening position it's like oh look at this bear he was gonna kill me it's like no you were 200 yards away in a helicopter and the bear was sleeping like the reason i say that they're malevolent and not in that they're just doing what they do because they're not doing this in order to survive they're doing it for pleasure it's as a vacation for them yeah but it's something that's ingrained into their culture at this point but it's not something that's required for their survival that's where the the main difference is like for some of these others that we're going to talk about what they do they're very similar to sharks or a virus you know a virus isn't inherently evil all it's doing is what any other living species does doing what it needs to do to propagate and survive yes it kills you or it kills whatever it infects the predators are just going and killing for the sake of killing for the thrill of the hunt there's no there's there's no societal advantage it's a selfish personal thing because they're trying to advance excuse me advance in the ranks of the hierarchy of their own society but that's how i feel so do you have anything we agree to disagree here because Mm -hmm. uh do you have anybody else you want to add before yeah uh, the the queen from alien and aliens uh no, I, I, the alien queen, uh, the alien, the xenomorphs fall into the next category of they're just doing what they need to do to survive. Okay. But so in that first film, correct? Uh, there's and, no it, alien, there's no alien queen in the first film. Okay. Well, the, so, uh, but as, as xenomorph, yep. fine, then I'll just say xenomorphs in general. A xenomorph makes it onto this spacecraft that is not theirs. How? How did the xenomorph get onto the ship? Very carefully. We disturbed a clutch of eggs. Uh, Kane went into where the eggs were, disturbed the eggs, and got a face hugger on him. That's how he did it. The alien didn't seek us out. They just had their their things waiting around for someone to come along. And that his body heat activated them, awakened the facehugger who was in some sort of, uh, I don't want, not comatose, but like suspended animation type state. And it jumped out. And that's the first part of the life cycle. And then in, I don't know if you've seen the deleted scenes, but the people it didn't kill, it cocooned. Um, and in the second one with the queen, there is uh, a growing theory that you know they're fairly intelligent. But I've had this conversation with several people where had Ripley just taken Newt and left, the queen wouldn't have pursued her. But because Ripley blew up all the eggs, that's why the queen went after her. So the uh, xenomorph, okay. 
Okay. No, I'll, I'll give you that. I, I will. Yeah. Okay. That makes, I will give you that. Yes. That makes sense. So, so in thusly, the xenomorphs would fall into the next category. Correct. Because they're just trying to propagate their species. They're not like, they're not in it for any personal or, you know, uh, you know, there's no right. personal glory in it. It's just, I need to, it's like a bot fly, you know, implanting its eggs. Oh, into, no, don't, oh, don't you know. mention bot. Oh, no, thank you. Please, next, next topic, next subject. Wait, 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 wait. no, I have, I have, I have two, I have two honorable mentions. Okay. Because, and these might be a little controversial because they don't end up being evil. But that's how they started off. But because of the interactions they had with humans on Earth, they were able to kind of get over their their uh, inherent programming, so to speak. And that's the Iron Giant from the Iron Giant and Stitch of Lilo and Stitch. The Stitch was created as a weapon. The Iron Giant was created as a weapon. Circumstances. Wouldn't they fall into the next category then? No, because they're not just doing what they need to do to survive and are neutral. But they're doing what they've been pro like literally programmed to do. The Iron Giant was programmed and then was able to learn beyond that programming and become good. Stitch is an ex you know definitely an alien. But an experiment, yes, gone he awry. Designed, he was designed to be the perfect weapon, right? And then you know went beyond that to you know learn and develop friendships and relationships, and you mm -hmm. know create create is his own ohana. Uh, but I, I feel like you know they were malevolent to begin with because they didn't know that they didn't they didn't know better it was their nature but the uh, it's the well, environment and, and versus that's, heredity. A, that's an argument for nature versus nurture right well, there but... it's 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 you know environment versus heredity nature versus nurture like in these specific situations uh they were like this was like what's the first thing stitch does when he comes to earth like tries to fight a truck, pulls a gun on a frog, like those are aggressive, uh, aggressive acts of violence. I mean, he pulls a gun on raindrops. It's because he doesn't know any better. He doesn't know what right. it is. He feels like he's he being responds with physically well, right? Because he also feels like he's being physically threatened. Same thing with the Iron Giant until he gets electrocuted. Like, it, had he. Had the military found him first, he would have been a weapon of war. He would have continued his programming. But because he got found by someone else and kind of got restarted, the same way that Stitch got restarted at the truck, like that sort of like kicked out his original programming, it was still there and he got to let it out a little bit here and there, but he was able to overcome it. But they started life out. That's why I said it was controversial because they started life out as malevolent. They ended up being good, but they're not part of this next group. So 
the next group, this is like we said, you know, with the, the xenomorph discussion, they are just doing what is inherent to them. Like there's no grand scheme. There's no plan. There's no, uh, real thought process behind all of this. It's basically, this is what I do. It's, you know, like an, almost like a, an insect or, you know, a, a virus, um, so obviously we covered the xenomorphs. Uh, the next one is the thing. Now the thing, um, we don't know where it came from. We don't know what it truly looks like. We, I mean, there are descriptions in the original novella, Frozen Hell, and uh, who goes there? Two different versions, same story. Frozen Hell has a lot more uh, to it. Uh, who goes there is like the cut down version um, where a bunch of stuff was edited to kind of help the flow of the story. But honestly, I think that frozen hell is far superior because I think it's better uh, gives you more backstory on what's going on and fleshes out the characters a little more. You get to find out uh, more about McCready than uh, he's bronze. Like, um, but we don't know if the creature that he's describing is the original thing or if that's something that was assimilated. So that's one of the great mysteries of this one because you don't know what it actually looks like. And everyone who watches the movie for the first time, the 1982 version, of course, not the Howard Hawks version, but the 1982 version, the first thing you're like, why are they trying to shoot the dog? But what this thing does is it's not quite a hive mind, but even when it's a very selfish type of survivor, um, every small piece of this thing acts as its own entity, even down to the last cell. So if you were to take two cells and spread them on, you know, one will not look out for the other. Like if there are, 10 people in a room and two of them are infected with the thing. If one of them gets caught up, the other one will help kill that person in order to maintain its secrecy. So this thing, this is what really, it really reminds me of a virus because it's just the cells get in. It's like cancer. The cells get in and replicate and change uh, to themselves you know, they're able to replicate uh, entire species very quickly. Um, so that's what I have on that one. So the, the thing well, is what, definitely... Go what's ahead. interesting about the thing is we don't know what the uh, alien species looks like we just know how people react to it. I mean, we do get to see some great transformations. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that one scene that I'm thinking of, like, yep. it's just phenomenally done. We get to see how, you know, a, a, a little bit, not, not a lot, but we do get to see a little bit as of, of how this alien species replicates the human DNA and, you know, how it can, uh, there's a, there's a word and I can't think of it right now. Uh, it, 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 it's sort of, it, it, it's sort of like that. Yes. Uh, how they can 
assimilate, you know, uh, their prey, so to speak. And again, it's almost like it's very parasitic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's almost like a like a tick or like a tapeworm or, you know, ultimately it's just trying to survive. Now, there's a lot of destruction that lays in its wake as it's trying to survive. But that's all. It's, I mean, you know, or like you said, like a like a virus. Mm-hmm. Viruses, all they want to do is survive. All they want to do is replicate and evolve uh, so to enhance their uh, chances of, of survival. Yeah, and as much as possible to ensure exactly, that they survive. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, when we initially think of, of the thing, we think that it's this malevolent species. But, you know, I understand what you're saying. It's, again, you know, uh, just the nature of the nature of the creature and the creature wanting to survive. Right. Um, next one I have on here is, uh, from 2006, um, James Gunn's, uh, Slither. And, um, I gotta tell you, this one is very reminiscent of the thing where it's, except it's a, uh, it's a hive mind, um, but it definitely infects and assimilates and incorporates other people and the life cycle is kind of weird. It's very alien like where uh, it'll infect someone and that person will start acting as a host and start mm-hmm. absorbing other people and they will just f- become more and more deformed and, and oh, it's, it's crazy. The, the makeup effects are phenomenal, but like certain ones will, be infected and become like a tick and they'll just grow and grow and expand until they explode and millions of little slugs come out of them. And then those are what go and infect more people. So, um, I, I, I thought that one, you haven't seen that one. Have you? No, I haven't. We own it, but you should definitely see it. Uh, it's 2006 slither. Um, I definitely think that uh, everybody should see this one. If you like body horror and you like uh, like weird alien stuff, I'd go with that one. Uh, the next one is The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So the Body Snatchers, uh, again, they're not malevolent, and there's definitely a uh, like a replacement type thing that we see with the uh like with the thing uh this one because there's there's a few different versions obviously there's one from the 50s one from the 70s one from the 90s um but they're not malevolent like again they're just doing what they need to do to survive and unfortunately that involves taking over people's lives and turning them into like plant pod people. Uh, the last one I have 
is Nope. Uh, the creature from Nope is only doing, again, what it needs to do to survive. Like, I don't think it it has the... I think with most of these, these uh, instances, they don't possess the higher emotional brain functions to be malevolent. You know what I mean? Like, they're not smart enough to do that. They may be super aggressive in the case of the, the xenomorphs, and they may be, uh, you know, violent when it comes to the way they, you know, assimilate their prey. And as we see with the thing, but it's not, it's not done with any malice or joy. It's not like, hooray, I get to become a bunch of dogs or hooray, I get to, you know, cram an egg down somebody's throat. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the creature uh, from Nope, uh, A, the character design itself was so interesting. What you think it is, it's not. And then there's more to it. Again, I don't want to give too, too much away. I'm going to talk about things in really vague terms, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to make a couple of really valid points. Uh, just because it did re come out recently, if you haven't had the opportunity to see it, you know, it's not a perfect film. It does have it, its flaws. However, it is so well done. So well done. I mean, there are a couple of things that happen that they don't necessarily pay off in the end. Um, but as a whole, if you, you know, just kind of don't dwell on those little nitpicky parts as a whole, it's a, it's a fantastic alien extraterrestrial creature film. Um, you know, so, so I found that the design to be really interesting and the way that the design, um, evolves, we'll say throughout the film is, is really interesting. Uh, so well done. Um, very unique, something that I haven't seen. Uh, yet in in an alien film the way that it is presented uh, but also very plausible too also the behavior and the mannerisms of what is going on you know uh, all animals are ultimately the same all animals have roughly the same characteristics when put into certain situations all animals need to eat. All animals, you know, have different display tactics when they feel threatened. Yeah. And that's exactly what, you know, what happens in this film with this creature. You know, you get to kind of see it go through certain phases, you know. And, and what I love about this film is they point that out. Like there's a there's a purpose for 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 that. There's a purpose for everything. You know, they figure it out. They're like, hey, you know, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. It's not just you know, it's not just doing X Y Z for the sake of doing X Y Z. There's a purpose to it, you know. And it's not a malevolent creature by any stretch. You know, it's just doing what it needs to do to to survive. It's no different than you know. Uh, a lion or a sea creature or you know any any other animal 
that you can think of. You know, it's no different than my cat. You know, actually, I, I don't think it's as lazy as my cat, but still, um, you know, so it's, it's really interesting to kind of see just genuine, basic, animalistic characteristics placed upon this, you know, imaginative alien creature. Yeah, and it's just one of those one of those things where it's 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 like um, all it does is consume when it's hungry. Like that's essentially its purpose. And and that you know, it, food it, source. Yeah. you know, it's it's one of those things where you know you, you got to eat, you got to you got to consume nutrients in some way, shape, or form. You know how you go about that. That's up to you. But every living species needs to consume nutrients in order to survive. And that is what this creature is trying to do. It's just trying to survive. So it's, it's really interesting, you know, the way that at the core of, of everything are these basic characteristics. You know, um, obviously with some of these alien creatures, it's a little more detailed. There's more to it. Uh, and depending on how evolved these alien creatures are in these films, you know, sometimes they're 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 looking for they're looking for worlds, you know, or it's just a universal galaxy domination, you know. And but at the heart of everything, they're just looking to survive. Yeah, it's not anything that's. It's like any other animal that has found a good food source and would just. Well, and it's really. And it's really interesting to me to kind of see the overall evolution of these alien extraterrestrial-like characters, you know, depicting, you know, I mean, how conspiracy theories state that hieroglyphics depict alien species, you know? all the way up to, you know, the most recent alien film that came out, which was Nope. You know, it, it's really interesting to see how things have been portrayed and what uh, the driving force behind those portrayals, you know, uh, what influenced the tone of these films. Yeah, it's, it's all... You know, and, and what influenced the uh, character design? The creature design. Yes. Yeah. Um, do you have any other ones you want to add to anything? Not that I mean, we've already been going for over an hour on this. Yeah, so I think that's a, probably a pretty good place to stop. So uh, if there's any that we miss, and I know there are, uh, feel free to chime in. Let us know. So uh, what we'll do is we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. And uh, we've got a few announcements, so stay tuned. Greetings! We are the Retro Reductopus Cephala Podcast, the bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. He's right. 
we wax philosophic about lots of geeky crap like old video games and movies, toys, cartoons. I don't know, help me out here. Music, pants, quoting video games that don't have dialogues, shabibans, tasty news, unnecessarily long Japanese onomatopoeia, butt breathers, uncomfortable nature facts, or how to install a samoplange. And unlike all those other podcasts, we at Retroidocubus have an exciting rotating host schedule. Do we? We sure do. So, if you didn't like the guy flapping his gums this week, like me, worry not, gentle listener. Next week, we'll have a whole new host. Of problems! Hey, they might still suck, but they'll suck differently. And you know what's really cool? Retroidocubus is part of the Dorkening and Inebriar Podcast Networks with new episodes every Tentacle Tuesday. Which is like every other Tuesday. We named it. Anyways, you can listen to us at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or any podcast player cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all things that make growing up awesome. And we are back. I hope you enjoyed that discussion about some of our favorite aliens in uh, various forms of media. Um... We definitely want to hear what you guys think, so definitely reach out to us at throwdownthursdaypodcast at gmail.com or on the uh, the Facebook group. If you're not a part of the Facebook group, come join us. Um, we have some uh, battle results, do we not? We do. So last week we threw down The Shire is Burning, so Mordor it is. Which team of misfits and unlikely heroes has what it takes to best their opponents and escape the Upside Down? All members must make it out alive, and weapons and guitars are allowed. You could choose from the Hellfire Club and Friends, the Goonies, the Monster Squad, or the Losers Club. And uh, so we have a couple of results here. So Facebook, it's a tie. I was the tying vote. Between the Goonies and the Monster Squad. I picked the Monster Squad and that brought it to a tie. To which our buddy Coop says, Monster Squad has a literal Frankenstein's monster, a German, and an almost virgin. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And then Twitter, the winner on the Twitters is the Hellfire Club and Mm, Friends. I don't know about that. I mean, I could see it, but I don't know. But uh, big announcement for next week. Next week, uh, our episode is going to air Saturday, much like this week, uh, but not because uh, we just didn't have time to do it, but because we are going to be live on StreamYard, on YouTube, on Facebook, because it is our 300th episode. We're going to have some awesome guests. We're going to have some fun games and prizes. Uh, if you saw, I posted what some of the prizes are going to be uh, a week or two ago. But, uh, yeah, we've got some awesome stuff coming up. Yeah, so please come join us for our 300th episode extravaganza. Uh, the wine will be flowing. Actually, we'll probably break out the good champagne. Yes, and uh, we will. we can let you know because we're going to have prizes for participation. So we want to know. Who are your top five all-time character crushes? Yeah. Now, we're not talking celebrity crushes. Oh, no. We're talking character crushes. The weirder, the better. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like, 
Oh, I'm a huge Alexandria Daddario fan, so I my crush is her character from True Detective. Like, that's fine if that's what you want to do, but like, it doesn't necessarily have you. Like, your character crush doesn't have to. It could be an anime. It could be like, oh, I'm a huge fan of when Bugs Bunny dresses up as a woman. Like, <laughs> that's my thing. Lola Bunny really gets my motor running. Like, fine. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, I have a story about a koala bear, and we'll leave it at that until next week's episode. And I have a really weird one, and uh, we'll leave it at that until next week's episode. But here's the thing. The thing about crushes is that it can be anything. You know, the, the definition of crush can be very innocent, and then it can also be very not so innocent. So it's up to you to determine. But we're talking about our, our character crushes from childhood up to now. And, yeah, it's going to... It's going to get weird. And if, so people have, yourself, kids. and if people have alter egos, like, that's fine. If you're like, man, I would I would rail RuPaul in drag, but, like, I'm not attracted to RuPaul Charles. That's fine, too. Like, it doesn't matter. Whatever works for you, it's your crush. There is no judgment. It's just this is your thought. This is how you feel. And, you know, we want you to uh, to share with us top five. It could be... Oh, when I was five, I had a crush on, you know, Jem, you know, or, oh, when I was 27, I dated a girl who reminded me of, I don't know, Mothra, like, <laughs> whatever, you know, like, are you, it's whatever. Are you speaking from experience? No, I was just trying to throw. Is it something. because I eat the sweaters in your closet? I just wanted to throw something <laughs> weird. I didn't know you when I was 27. I was just trying to throw out something weird, and I saw I have the Godzilla Funko right in front of me. So the first <laughs> thing I thought of was Mothra. Like there's the the, the autographed <laughs> shadow box of Gem, and I have Godzilla right in front of me. So the first it's like, oh yeah. Uh, like, oh, you know, I got my first boner in 1999 when I saw Yaddle on the Jedi Council. Like, whatever. Like, that's fine. Yeah, no judgments. No, it's whatever. No judgments. It's so, your crush. Uh, yeah, so please join us. It's going to be a phenomenal time. And if you've seen any of our live shows, it just goes completely off the rails. And it's bonkers. And it's so much fun. So that's why I'm we looking... don't do them that often. Well, yeah, yeah. Because we have a little too much fun. Uh, but it's going to be a blast. So please join us. We're going to be posting all about it all week. Um You'll know where to find it. We'll post the links and stuff. And yeah, it'll be on our YouTube channel. Say, it'll be on the Facebook group. Obviously, if you group. cannot join us, the audio will be available probably the following day. Wherever, yeah, it'll be available wherever fine podcasts are found, and obviously the visuals will be up on the YouTubes and whatnot. So yeah, because I'm currently on a film out in Amherst that takes me Monday through Friday, so we have to do it Saturday because these are long ass days. I'm not looking forward to Monday where I have to be up at 4 a.m. But it'll be a fabulous time, so we hope you will oh, join us. Oh, I will be well-rested for Saturday evening. I, I think, what, what time did we say? Around 7? 8. 8? 8 p.m. 8, 8 7 8, central. 8 p.m. Eastern time, so figure out the time. 8, 7 yourself. central, so that's for Coop right there. 7 o'clock Coop time, 8 o'clock uh, normal people time. <laughs> actually, I, I don't like that term, normal. I know, we were talking uh, about that yesterday. Actually, you know what? We were talking about that, uh, a few of us were talking about that today on a set. 
uh, I did a commercial for a pharmaceutical company, and we were, a couple of us were chatting, and it's like, it's like, wow, you can go through a life without any severe like mental, emotional, or physical detriments. Oh, you're what's wrong with this country, you weirdo! Like, yeah. <laughs> like those are the weird people. It's like, oh yes, I. I have no health concerns. Uh, my mental health is perfect, and I have enough money to live. It's like, wow, you're you should be in a circus in a sideshow, like, because it's pretty much you know, look to your left, look to your right, then nine other directions. One of the twelve of you will be a normal person. The other eleven will be, will be. Uh, you. Hi, I have trauma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, please join us. It's going to be a really great time. I'm looking forward We're to have it. Powerful Brandon. I'm... We're hoping to get some celebrities on, if only for a short time. Um, the yeah. card is subject to change, but Mark Hamill, Leo DiCaprio, and uh, uh, Paul Giamatti, and... Uh, uh, Sting. Sting. Both the wrestler and the singer, uh, they're all going to be on. That is subject to change. But uh, also, uh, I'm hoping to interview a shark. But uh, I think with that being said... <laughs> we will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. Actually, no, Saturday. See you next... We'll see you Saturday. Thursday. Thursday. Saturday. We'll see you next Saturday. Yes. Ah, sucks. All right. Bye.